Assalamu alaikum. Welcome back, listeners. This is Mohammed Alamgir, your host for the Islamic History 2020 podcast. And I know, I am so sorry. There is a huge gap from the last podcast to where I am today. And I'm very sorry for that. I've had my listeners message me asking me when the next next podcast will be out. And the truth is, I've got no real reason, excuse other than life took over. As you know, we've got the we've got the COVID-19 coronavirus pandemic and the whole of the UK is on complete lockdown for a period of six months. It made everything very difficult. And subsequently, you know, this just took a kind of back seat. So I haven't been able to put a podcast out, but what I was able to do is go down a bit of a rabbit hole. I started looking into and investigating the Third Crusade, and pretty much that's what all I've been doing for the last three months, is researching and understanding all of the characters, all of the political power play of the Third Crusades. And I thought, what I'm going to do for my next set of um, podcasts, my next series of podcasts, is the Third Crusade. So we're on the first part of a number of episodes, which I'm going to try to keep them quick and short and just give you snapshots of things that were happening during the Third Crusade, why it was taking place, all of the personalities within the Third Crusade and how it subsequently came to an end. So we're just going to do a whirlwind tour of it. And we've got some really interesting personalities. We've got Richard the Lionheart. Everybody in the West knows of Richard the Lionheart. He was charismatic. He was a big personality. You know, wherever he went, he had a, he had a reputation that preceded him. And he was just a really, really interesting character. Then we've got Salahuddin Ayubi. If you're Muslim, you're going to know his name. If you're from the West, you probably have heard his name, Salahuddin. And he was a, a Muslim leader, leader that unified all of Syria, all of Egypt. And he was able to take Jerusalem back from the Crusaders. And he had many, many skirmishes with the Crusaders, leading to major battles, leading to major uh, truce, truce and peace treaties. And his story is very interesting. And then there's other people that played a part in that um, crusade and we're going to start with one of them. His name is Frederick Barbarossa. He is the Holy Roman Empire. Sorry, he's the Holy Roman Emperor. He was responsible for the Holy Roman Empire that took was part of the West Roman um, Empire, essentially a, a contingent of different countries that came together. The word emperor was almost like an overlord, the king of kings, and his holy part, that's there because he was there to defend the Pope and defend Christianity. And so when the um, call for the Third Crusade came, he was kind of committed to it. So we're going to talk about Frederick Barbarossa and his crusade, well, his crusade that we didn't quite become a crusade, but his march through Europe into the Holy Lands and is a really great place to start. I want to give you some context, bring you up to speed. So the last podcast I gave you, we talked about the battle that took place just before the Battle of Hattin, which was a decisive battle and a decisive win for Saladin. He may, may, he may, he was able to take the Crusader 
armies, capture King Guy, capture all of the nobles, and they were essentially defeated and rooted out. Those who weren't captured or killed exited the, uh, exited the battlefield and went to a crusader land on the coast called Tyre. And what Saladin did then systematically is go across all of the crusader lands and reclaim them for Islam. And within those um, crusader lands was obviously Jerusalem. And as I mentioned earlier, Salahuddin was able to lay siege to Jerusalem with the major crusader armies either killed in um, retreat or in prison. Was able to take uh, Jerusalem and reclaim it for the Muslims. This was a great win for Saladin, but it sent shockwaves across Europe. All of the kings, all of the pope, the pope and the kings of Europe couldn't believe the news that came through. The pope blamed the Christians, the Frank, Franks, the Christians of the West. Um, on their sins was the reason why the Holy Land was taken. And ultimately, it was the reason for the Third Crusade. The Franks in the Holy Land or in the Crusader lands actually sent the Archbishop of Tyre to Europe in order to convince the kings of Europe and convince the Pope that there should be support sent from the west to the east in order to reclaim the Crusader lands. And he was quite successful actually. The Pope Gregory, the Pope at the time, was fully backing him and the Archbishop of Tyre had the ear of all of the Western kings and they all agreed that they should take the Crusader vow and enter the, um, the, 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 the West, the East, sorry, and take back the lands of Saladin from the idolaters and the Saracens and the uh, deviants that uh, the Muslims were in their eyes. So that's the context of where we are right now. All of the Crusader lands have gone back to the hands of the Muslim. Saladin has not only managed to unite Syria and um, that part of the world with Egypt and bring the whole Muslim um, empire together, he's also been able to reclaim the, um, the, the, well, the jewel within the Middle East, which is the, Jerusalem. And he was able to basically take that root out all of the uh, crusaders so that's what happened in the west that's what's happened in the east now just before the archbishop of tyre has gone over to the to, to the kings of europe and over a three-year period he's really drummed up a lot of support and he's got people to take the crusader vow but the difference is this time it isn't just people it isn't just like knights it isn't just the laymen it's actually kings he's managed to get the king of france the king of england and the holy roman empire um, emperor sorry to take the crusader vow and commit to sending themselves and their armies to the crusader lands in order to fight the muslims but whilst this is happening i mentioned king Guy. he was a king of jerusalem and he was captured by saladin now in that time what would happen is you would capture a king or a nobleman and you would ransom them back for a hefty fee but unfortunately king Guy was not actually a very popular person whatsoever 
He ascended the throne by, through his marriage to Queen Sibylla, who was the sister of King Baldwin. King Baldwin died. There were no real heirs. Well, there was an heir, but he was a young boy, and he also died. And so Queen, his sister, Queen Sibylla, or Sibylla at the time, took the throne. She was married to Guy of Lissoglegos. I'm not even going to try to say it because I haven't wrote it down. King Guy. And he was very unpopular. He was not a popular person. He was a bit incompetent in doing anything, really. But um, if Queen Sibylla was to be given the throne, it would automatically, by default, make him the king. So her noble advisors was telling her, you must divorce King or you must divorce Guy and take the throne of Jerusalem in order to, for stability in the region. Queen Sibylla was very, very crafty. What she said is, okay, no problem. I will divorce King Guy, but I will only marry somebody of my own choosing from the noblemen of Jerusalem. So she did divorce Guy. She had her congregation coronation sorry not congregation coronation she ascended the throne put on a thr um, her, her 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 throne um onto her head and she announced that she was going to take a new husband all of the noble men of jerusalem at the time were standing in anticipation could it be them that queen sibylla would choose queen sibylla chose Guy. And to a shocked audience, Guy ascended the throne and became and was crowned King Guy. So when he was taken hostage, Saladin was under the impression he'd get quite a hefty ransom for him. However, he was not popular. No one wanted to pay that ransom. And so in the end, knowing that he was just a burden on by having him, Saladin released him. But what Guy did is that he had no lands no more. He was the king of Jerusalem and there was no Jerusalem. He had gone back to the Muslim lands, the uh, Muslim hands. The only crusader land really that was left was Tyre. And in Tyre was Conrad of Monferrat. He was, yeah, he kind of, he ascended his own throne almost. He was always, he was always trying to back himself as the king of Jerusalem and he ascended his own throne. So he didn't want to really go there into a power play with uh, Conrad. So what he did is assemble an army under the guise of taking back the crusader um, land and they started with um, Acre. So he assembled his own army some of those would be knights, some of his own people, others he paid, and he marched towards Acre. Acre is another coastal town, and at the time it was like taken by the Muslims, and he had aspirations of taking Acre, regaining that for the Christian Franks, and subsequently giving him some um, honor and something to rule over as well, actually. So that's what King Guy did. And in all fairness, and hindsight's a great thing, Saladin should, really should have just rooted him out. He should have recognised what was happening and t 
took out Kingi and those followers that he had because there wasn't a large contingent at the time and Saladin had enough resources to wipe them out but he didn't for whatever reason I don't know what that reason is and history doesn't tell us he took a very lax approach towards Kingi and his march towards Acre so when Saladin arrived at Acre there was already a siege around Acre so Acre is a coastal town Imagine a semicircle town around the coast and King Gi and his army had laid siege around to create a semicircle around the town. So Saladin, again I don't really know, like he should have just attacked them anyway, but he never, he laid siege to the siege. So now we've got the town of Acre, we've got a a siege around it, a, a, almost an army in a semicircle around it, laying siege to it, and that's the Christian Franks led by King Guy. And then we've got Saladin and his army around King Guy's army, laying siege to them. And I don't know why Saladin didn't just attack them because he had ample opportunity to. So whilst this is happening in Europe, three people have committed to the um, Crusader vow. These are significant people. The first one is uh, his, the topic of our story to, um, podcast today, Frederick Barbarossa. The second one is King of Austria, Duke Leopard. The third one is King Philip of France. And the fourth person is King Richard, known as King Richard, the Lionheart of England. And it was Frederick Barbarossa who f first headed out. So in over a three-year period, the Archbishop of Tyre has managed to convince these great people and their armies, you know, these are kings of countries, they've got army, they've got resources, they've got a financial means um, to, to head out to the, to head out to the um, Crusader lands. But the first person to head out was Frederick Barbarossa. And we're going to examine him and his march in today's podcast. So... Who was Frederick Barbarossa? Well, first of all, Frederick Barbarossa had already actually been on a crusade. He, in 1147, his uncle, Conrad III, he gave the crusader vow. And Conrad III was the, the leader of the Germans, the, the Holy Roman Emperor at the time. And his nephew, which was Frederick, Frederick Barbarossa, agreed to go with him. So Frederick's already been on a crusade. So by the time of uh, the Third Crusade, where he's given the vow, he's the Holy Emperor, uh, Roman Emperor at the time, he's already aware of what the Crusader lands look like, how to get there, and some of the problems that arose last time he went. A couple of notable things about that Second Crusade, where Frederick had gone with his uncle Conrad. Frederick's father didn't want him to actually go. In fact, he... He reprimanded Conrad for agreeing to take his son. But Frederick's father died seven weeks before Frederick left. Recognising there's going to be, um, you know, issues of like um, taking the air and, and, and taking over um, Frederick's father's lands. Frederick married Adelaide of Wachberg uh, before going so that he was, you know, married and and uh, had a successor succession line um some interesting stories at at that second crusade 
a ill crusader stopped at a monastery in, in Byzantine territory. And at that monastery, he was robbed. Conrad, the head of the army, uh, heading off to the Crusades, um, sent Frederick to deal with it. And what Frederick did, he went, he went ballistic. He raised it all to the ground and, you know, had the st whatever was stolen from the Crusader taken back and really made a point of why should you be robbing Crusaders when they're on the holy trip to the Crusade lands to take back the land kingdom of Christ. Um, the 8th, on the 8th of September of the year of that crusade, most of the German crusaders were drowned due to a flash flooding. But Frederick had camped on a high hill. So even though most of his um, army or his uncle's army had been drowned and died, um, he actually was survived. And when they returned, they all did return back to Germany. And when they did, Conrad's deathbed, on Conrad's deathbed, he had a son. And really, the throne should have gone to his son. But to surprise of both Frederick and, and everybody, he gave his uh, signature ring um, to Frederick and said to continue as the king of Germany. And, and that's how Frederick Barbarossa actually became the Holy Roman Emperor um, and 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 ascended the throne. As I say, it should have been uh, Conrad's son, Frederick's cousin. Now, Frederick Barbarossa, the Barbarossa part, it's Italian for red beard, and obviously they guessed it. He's had a, he's got a red beard, and he was sixty six when he set out at the head of about eighty thousand um, army people, army soldiers. Now, this is really really interesting. Previous crusades, as I said, had been the layman who's committed to su supporting the, the work of Christ. But here, Frederick Barbarossa, a very, very wealthy king, a very powerful king with a huge army, has headed out with a, a proper army. Now, these are not your average layman. These are military personnel, 80,000. And I say 80,000, in fact, some of the reports say up to 160,000. So I've just gone with the lowest number I found because I know these things are like not calculated properly. Now, what's interesting is the Saladin on the other side of the current world is getting reports. That there's an army of 200,000 heading off with Frederick. So you can understand why um, Saladin started to make some decisions that... In hindsight, um, actually, was detrimental to him. But you can understand why. The information is that there's an army of Christian crusaders heading out from Europe um, at the head of Christ uh, Frederick Barbarossa, and there's 200,000 of them. Obviously, that's going to make you nervous. And so Saladin ultimately diverted resources there. And that was to his detriment, as I say, because if he had put all his forces into attacking Acre and King Guy, that siege would have been ended and this would have been a shorter podcast and a shorter Third Crusade. But because Frederick had already been on the Crusader path himself, he knew which route to take. And unlike um, King Philip and unlike King Richard, who a little bit later, just after um, Frederick heads out, they head out, but they head out by ships. They, sh they sailed to um, Cyprus 
and then from Cyprus they sail on to Tyre. However, Frederick, for reasons of both cost, because it's expensive to go by boat, and also the sheer size of his army, 80 to 160,000, um, that's going to be a lot of people to put on a lot of boats, was on a march. But what Frederick had done, knowing what happened last time, he sent out diplomatic, diplomatic on, on envoys to all of the lands he was going to cover off, that include Hungary, that include the Byzantine Empire, that included the Seljuks of uh, Seljuks, and also include Armenia. So what he did, he sent over um, envoys to them, and he said, "I'm going to be passing through your land. I have no interest." in conquering any of your land. I have no interest in harassing any of your people. All I want to do is co commit to my crusader vow and go through your territory onto um, Tyre. However, I would like, if you don't mind, some support. And that support in the, is in the form of provisions and the support of knowing your army, your people won't harass me so that we can engage in conflict and to make available markets so we can purchase items from you and favorable exchange rates and prices that are not hiked up because ultimately they need to buy things. And that was the idea. And all of those people responded in the positive. And why wouldn't you? You've got an army of a very, very powerful leader walking through your lands. Keep him sweet, right? He also wrote to Saladin. I think there was a peace treaty in place with um, with the Holy Roman Emperor and Saladin. So he said, "Give us back Jerusalem, release the Christian, um, release the Christian prisoners, and also really give us the Holy Cross." The uh, I mentioned in a podcast before there was a Holy Cross, a relic of the Holy Cross. We want that back. And when Saladin uh, he wrote back, he refused. That paved the way for war. So it's very diplomatic. You can see he's a, he's, a, he's a seasoned king, isn't he? He's not just going to attack Saladin. He gives him the opportunity uh, to surrender his, you know, those things he wants. And when he said, no, that's it. That's, that's why there's going to be war. So as I say, everybody sent diplomats back saying to Frederick Barbarossa, it's all good. Come on through our lands. And so Frederick Barbarossa is ready now to march through these lands onto the Holy Land and onto taking back Jerusalem. He's at the head of 80 to 160,000 well-disciplined soldiers and is also an international force, not just his empire's forces. He was met en route by forces from different countries that had sent armies to join him. So he's got a very international force. And Frederick, knowing what happened last time, like, for example, his his soldiers in the previous Second Crusade, where he went with his uncle Conrad, he saw them, he saw the misbehave, he saw the drunkenness, he saw the attacking of local women, the harassment of the Jews. He, um, he very much didn't want that. He wanted a strict army heading out to the um, Holy Land. So he disciplined his army very, very, very well. And it's, it's notable and it's uh, commendable and it's to his credit what he'd done anybody found um, misbehaving in any way was dismissed they were dismissed from the army anybody found drunk they would have their arm cut uh, left uh, hand cut off anybody found stealing would have their hand cut off 
and he himself implemented this, um, these rules. And very quickly, his army straightened out. They recognized Frederick Barbarossa is not messing around. So what that meant is that he had a very swift passage through most of um, the lands that he was traveling through. Because again, as I mentioned, he's, he's written to them in advance. They're clearing the path for him. They're making available the markets. They're just making it easy for him. And he's en route. However, problems did arise when he arrived to Byzantine territory. Because the Byzantine emperor, empire, emperor at the time was Isaac Angelus. Isaac Angelus had just become to power after a whole revolt in the Byzantine Empire. And the Byzantine Empire is the Roman Empire of the East. If I go back to some of my other podcasts, I explained how the Roman Empire was so big that they split into two and had two emperors. And so the emperor of the West, which is um, Frederick Barbarossa, is marching through the emperor of the East. But he, as he's one, Isaac Angelus is a very, very new leader. He's not very clued up to diplomatic um, relations. And in fact, although he committed and agreed to support the Byzantine, sorry, the um, Frederick Barbarossa's army through the, through the lands of the Byzantine Empire, he actually negated on that. So when they arrived at Sophia, where they're supposed to, are supposed to find their first market, the whole town was empty. And not only was the town empty, Frederick Barbarossa learnt that the Byzantine Emperor Isaac Angelus had also imprisoned the uh, Holy Roman Emperor's uh, um, messengers that he had sent in advance. So they, they're now imprisoned. So this has got Frederick Barbarossa a little bit um, unnerved, a little bit easy, uh, uneasy, and he's not very happy whatsoever. So he starts writing to Isaac Angelos, what's happening? We're marching through your town, we've agreed these, etc, etc. Isaac Angelos thinks that this uh, Byzantine, sorry, this Frederick Barbarossa is going to take Byzantine land. He's going to conquer his land on his way. Now, all evidence states that Frederick Barbarossa was committed to the crusade and had no interest of taking any lands along the way. However... That slightly changed when um, Isaac Angelos started to address Frederick Barbarossa with the incorrect titles in his correspondence. And Frederick just, just lost it. He recognised that this actually, you know, this is, this is an insult more than anything else. So what Frederick did was take the city of Philothropis. Philothropis. After taking Philothropolis, which is a city within the Byzantine territory, he took Adrianople, another city. And I mean, this is an army of 80 to 160,000 soldiers. It's easy. You know, Frederick could have taken the Byzantine Empire in its, in its entirety, to be honest. Isaac Angelus wasn't very popular. He was inexperienced and his army had just kind of like just diminished a little bit. But again, Frederick wasn't en route to take any lands. He was en route to the crusade. So he's taken these two lands and he's also take, considering um, taking Constantinople. Constantinople is the capital of the Byzantine Empire. It's where a Isaac Angelos sits. And so now Isaac realizes, hang on. Um, yeah, this might not have been the greatest idea. And starts to go into negotiations with uh, Frederick to say, you know, what do you want? How can I get my lands back, etc., etc. 
But again, Isaac is actually inexperienced and he keeps like, they get close to a deal and he pulls out. And there's this underlying reason for that is that he's in agreement with um, Salahuddin and he's agreed with Salahuddin to slow down the army of Frederick Barbarossa. In the end, they do come to an agreement and they do come to terms. Frederick Barbarossa will return the two cities that he's taken. He will also not attack Constantinople in exchange for, you guessed it, markets, provisions, favorable exchange rates and support crossing two rivers in the Byzantine Empire with ships to cross ferry them over. It was what he originally asked for. So Isaac has re realized that actually he's, he's got what it, Frederick wanted in the first place, but he's done it through a really stupid way because he's like embarrassed Isaac. He showed his weakness, he showed his inability to lead and he's kind of like in front of his people, he's looked look very weak. So anyway, all of this faffing around has slowed Frederick Barbarossa down by six months. However, Frederick is very determined. He's 66 years old, a seasoned leader, a former crusader. He soldiers on, he marches on, he drives his army forward. And he gets through the Byzantine Empire. And next is now hostile land. He's on to Seljuk land. Now again, he's written to the leader of the Seljuk um, uh, lands, the leader of the Seljuk uh, Turks. His name is Kilia Aslan II, and he's agreed safe passage, passage through. You know, we won't attack your people, your land. Just let us go through, give us provisions, favorable, market, uh, favorable rates, markets, etc., etc. And Kilia Aslan was going to do it, except his son, Kutub Ad-Din, Kutub ad is married to the daughter of Salahuddin. So Kili Aslan's son is the son-in-law of Saladin, a powerful leader. His father-in-law said, "Don't let these um, Byzantine, sorry, these um, these Crusaders come through the lands. Don't let give them safe passage. I don't care what your dad says. I don't want these Crusaders to come through, not without problems." So Kutubuddin kind of overthrows his father Kili Aslan and harasses the army. Now the Seljuk army has no, they have no chance of attacking the actual army that's crusade, marching through their lands. It's just too big and they just haven't got enough resources to attack them on a head-to-head -head battle. So what they do is what the Seljuks are very good at. They got horsemen, they ride right up to the lines of the army, they attack them with arrows, arrows taking out as many of the crusaders as they can. And before the crusaders can respond, they, 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 they hurry out. Uh, hurry away and that's what they would do in these little little attacks these little you know skirmishes and just slowing the army down is taking them people down is really attacking them it's also affecting their ability to get water and food so the army slowed down again because of that and ultimately is not looking good for frederick barbarossa and his army and a lot of people have actually at this point given up and returned back others have just kind of just given up on the side of the street there's lack of water lack of food and so so the army's not looking good. But again, Fr Frederick Barbarossa, in all credit to him, is just driving his army forward. They get to the capital, and now Frederick Barbarossa shows his military might. He could have just kept 
going forward, getting picked off and, you know, trying to guess and, and negotiate water, etc. Uh, he could have done that. Instead, he lays siege to Icona and Iconia, sorry, not Iconia, Iconium. Iconia is the uh, modern day name, Iconium. Uh, Frederick Barbarossa leads uh, siege to Iconium. Iconium is the capital of the Seljuk um, Empire. And he captures it very, very easily. So now they're in controlling the capital of the Seljuk, ultimately controlling Seljuk land now. And so Qutub al-Din um, basically um, is destroyed and Kiliaslan regains the Sultanate of Rum and um, the power and again agrees to support um, Frederick Barbarossa in return for getting his land back I'll support your army through the la my lands provide you the things that you need safe passage so you can see Frederick Barbarossa is not interested in um, securing land for himself although he's already done so he just wants to get through these lands get onto the crusade and he's returning the lands back in exchange for safe passage at this point we're going to pause a moment and we're going to evaluate what just happened We've got an army from Europe on foot march through two very, very large and powerful empires, the Byzantine Empire and the Seljuk Empire. And they've destroyed them both. Had they not been on a crusade, they've taken the lands. They, that's their land now. They've taken over that empire and all the lands associated with it. Fair play to Frederick Barbarossa, fair play to his army. That's really quite phenomenal. But unfortunately, Frederick Barbarossa isn't known and remembered for this because of what happens next. Next, he's in friendly territory, the Christian lands of Armenia. Armenia has agreed to support him, also the Christian people, and in fact, Armenia is the first country in the world to accept Christianity as a, as a whole country. And what happened in Armenia is what Frederick Barbarossa is remembered for, and it's quite sad. 66 years old, maybe 67 now, years passed during this crusade. He spent six months faffing around in um, Byzantine territory. They're crossing a river. Frederick's horse slips. Frederick is weighed down with all his armor, obviously. Falls into the river and is drowned. How very sad that this strong, powerful leader, he's just, he's a few miles away, just as much as he's marched, is the equivalent of like a few miles. He dies en route. And it was a devastating blow for the, um, for the army. Their leader, the Holy Roman Emperor, Frederick Barbarossa, much loved, much respected, has now died. However, his son, Frederick, also Frederick, not to, not to get it confusing, um, Frederick of Swabia, he's a duke. He takes control of the army and tells people or his army members to take the body of his father and carry it and they're going to bury it in the crusader lands in the holy land 
So they basically continue on. They press on under the leadership of Frederick of Swabia all the way to Antioch. At Antioch, um, Fred, Frederick Barbarossa's body is absolutely stinking. I don't know the word. It's putrefied, I think it is. You know, it's a hot summer's day. This is, this is Middle East um, weather. There's a dead body. They're trying to maintain it with vinegar, um, but it's putrefied and the smell is horrendous. So at Antioch, um, Frederick of Swabia, the son of Frederick of Barbarossa, uh, tells them to bury the body. But before they do, to take the bones out, boil the bones, and the intention is to bury the bones, leave the body to bury the bones in the um, Holy Land. However, unfortunately, at Antioch, an epidemic breaks out. A bit like the epidemic that we've got now, but much bigger scale, and there's no way of controlling it. And it kills off most of the army. Those that do, um, that do survive, they're in limited numbers and a lot of them leave Antioch to return home and of course we can't forget that a lot have been killed en route from the Seljuk Empire thanks to Qutb ad-Din which is the son-in-law of Saladin. A lot of died of water thirst, dehydration or of lack of food and others have just given up and returned home simply because that last bit of it the Seljuk bit they had no resources given to them until they took Iconium to give you an idea now the army that um, uh, arrives at Acre is 5,000 so if I take the lowest estimate of 80,000 only 5,000 made it if we take the large number of 160,000, only 5,000 made it. Great news for Saladin, but really, really sad news for the German crusaders. Also, the son of Frederick Barbarossa, Frederick of Swabia, he dies in Antioch. And so... The king of Austria, Duke Leopold, assumes leadership of the army. Actually, no, it's not the king of Austria, sorry. Duke Leopold is representing the king of Austria. I'm pretty sure that's it. You're going to have to forgive me if I've got one of their titles wrong. I'm just thinking if he was the king. I don't think he was the king. He was the Duke of um, Leopold. He was, he was a representative of the king of Austria. Either way, he takes control of the army, the diminished army that's left, and marches on to um, Acre. But ultimately, at the Siege of Acre, which is we're going right back to where we started, um, King Guy has laid siege to Acre, and Saladin has laid siege to the King Guy. Uh, so there's like two lines of sieges going on. When they arrive with 5,000, it's a tiny army. I mean, you know, it's not really bolstering it whatsoever. Plus it all depleted. There's a lot of lack of morale. You know, they've just been through a whole battering. So this army is not the army that led off, um, you know, about a year earlier. So they don't make much of an impact in the, in, the, in, the, in the Holy Lands. So there's a couple of um, things to be kind of like points to kind of consider. And um, 
The first one is that Saladin could have just annihilated King Guy and his siege of Acre, and in hindsight, he should have done. But he never, he diverted a lot of um, resources to face the army of Frederick Barbarossa under the information that it was 200,000 strong. Had had the information that the army had been started to deplete had got back to him, maybe Saladin could have sent, uh, sent those resources back into Acre, attacked King Guy and cut off that siege a lot sooner. Frederick Barbarossa destroyed two leading armies, the Byzantines and the Seljuks, taking their land and having them surrender to him. I mean, that's forgotten in history because... Frederick Barbarossa didn't actually do much in the crusade. And when you think about Frederick Barbarossa in this march, you think of the impact it made on the crusade and the third crusade itself. I mean, you kind of got to give your credit to Frederick Barbarossa for what he had done. Frederick's son, uh, Frederick of Swabia, he carried the body as far as he could to Antioch, but couldn't keep up with it because of the smell. So buried the body at Antioch and... Um, took the bones and they did, the bones didn't make Jerusalem that's what he wanted to happen but he buried the bones at a uh, site of a saint I think that a saint a church with a saint I can't remember where they were buried but the bones were buried not in Jerusalem where he had wanted them to be buried and Frederick of Swabia the son of Frederick Barbarossa died in Antioch and so Duke Le of Leopold of Austria took control of the army now this is really interesting and plays a part in one of the l later podcasts we'll do um, God willing where King Richard gets arrested in Austria so as I said Duke, Le Le Duke Leopold Duke Leopold has arrived at Acre with this 5,000 strong army of just like battered broken men mostly and so it's more of a burden on the um, siege uh, crusaders than like bolstering them with uh, you know a strong fresh army and at a battle there was like a many skirmishes between Saladin and Richard the Lionheart because Richard Lionheart at this time had arrived at the um, acre via the ships with his army and so there was a battle it wasn't a major battle but there was a win for Richard the Lionheart and Richard the Lionheart had put his flag up to show that like you know the king of England Richard the Lionheart has won a battle against the infidel Saladin and Duke Leopold gets the flag of Austria next to the king uh, the flag of England and positions it the 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 english crusaders they rip down the flag of austria and say what have you done you know you haven't really added to this uh, battle you've brought nothing to the table the duke is so insulted by this act that he actually returns home he returns home with whatever men he had Fast forward about four years, probably three to four years. King Richard has finished the crusade, signed a peace treaty. I haven't given a spoiler. This is history. He signed a peace treaty with Saladin and he uh, is en route back, catches a ship. That ship gets shipwrecked. He catches, he hires pirate boats to get him remainder of the route. And that pirate ship also gets shipwrecked. 
in uh, in anger or just to avoid the river and the waterways because he's had two shipwrecks he goes via land and guess what land he has to go through Richard has to go through Richard the Lionheart King of England has to go through Austrian land and obviously the words got back as to what Richard the Lionheart and his men did to the Austrian flag so he gets arrested in Austria and because there was a murder um, this gets really interesting as well geeky level um, King Guy is disposed people don't like him and King Richard kind of was supporting him but he kind of says well I kind of go, gotta go with the, you know, with the majority of people and deposes uh, King Guy um, interestingly gives him Cyprus which he secured uh, en route to the Crusades and so King Guy's out the way now he's looking after Cyprus um, and a man comes to the throne which I mentioned already Conrad of Montferrat he becomes the king of Jerusalem although they haven't got Jerusalem but he's the king of the Crusader lands um, and Jerusalem if they secure it and then Conrad gets assassinated by the assassins who I've talked about in previous um, um, podcasts the man of the mountain uh, Sabah 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 something um, so he gets assassinated by the assassins the king of Jerusalem Conrad but king of Austria arrests king Richard under the pretense of you killing king Conrad or ordering the murder of Conrad and arrests him and has him imprisoned and he gets released about a year later king Richard for a huge huge ransom I mean Richard's a rich rich man anyway and the ransom was huge anyway um, that's a little bit of information and a story as to why, um, you know, what happened with King Leopold, just a little side note. So that's the story of Frederick Barbarossa, Frederick Barbarossa and the march to the Crusades. Unfortunately, if he had arrived there with the number of men that he had hoped to, he would have desecrated Saladin and probably taken all of the Muslim lands and history would have been very, very different. Um, he's demonstrated he's very possible, he's very capable of doing. He could have taken the Byzantine land and owned that en route. He could have taken all of the Seljuk land and taken that en route. So very easily would have desecrated um, uh, Saladin, I believe. However, it wasn't meant to be. His army got numbered at 80 to 160,000 only 5,000 actually arrived at the Holy Land. Frederick Barbarossa himself a strong powerful leader who was completely committed to the cause and he demonstrated that through his march. He had previously been on a crusade the second crusade with his uh, uncle Conrad again nothing to do with Conrad and Mon Monfora who I mentioned just a minute ago. Conrad III he had been on a crusade already was just miles out from the crusader from Antioch. He was literally miles. It wasn't far, considering how far he had actually travelled. And in the, you know, the the turn of fate, he fell off his horse and he drowned. His son Frederick of Swabia took control of the army. He too got to Antioch, but died because of the epidemic outbreak of illness and plague. And the Duke of Leopold took the broken down army the remainder of the way. And so that's the end of our podcast. That's the end of Frederick Barbarossa. The only other point I wanted to add was in World War II. Hitler was a big fan of Frederick Barbarossa. I don't know why Frederick wasn't somebody who hated Jews. In fact, 
as a matter of fact and a matter of point to make. Um, the second crusade and the first crusade there was a lot of har harassment of the Jews and Frederick Barbarossa in fact laid in uh, his law um, um, laws which protected the Jews from any harassment whilst he was on crusade so he was somebody that was the opposite the polar opposite of uh, Hitler but Hitler named one of his um, military campaigns Barbarossa I think it was a uh, missile, uh, submarine campaign, I believe, off the top of my head. I can't remember. But that's an interesting point. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast. I've enjoyed researching it. I've enjoyed putting it together and I've enjoyed retelling it. I've enjoyed being back in front of my uh, microphone that was uh, gifted to me by one of my um, close friends and getting talking about history again. So this will now be released. And as I say, over the course of this uh, entire series we're going to look through the remainder of the um, third crusade the next one we're going to talk about king philip and king richard in england and france before they set off and they journey through to the crusade that'll be the next one and then we'll talk about what happened when they arrived at um, acre and tyre and um, all the battles that ensued thereafter I want to thank you very much for listening in to this one, Frederick Barbarossa. He's a man that needs to be remembered in history. And it's beautiful doing these podcasts because, you know, as I say, he's he's not in fact remembered. He's not remembered much at all because he didn't made no impact in the um, crusade. But what he had actually done on his march was phenomenal. And I take my hat off to him. I take my hat off to his soldiers. And so thank you very much. This is Mohammed Alamgir, Islamic History 2020, signing off. I hope you enjoyed it. Take care. Good night. Good evening. Speak to you soon.